I am flummoxed. I I am. I'm I'm flum. I'm just amazed at how bad they are. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. It is my show, and you're welcome to join it. Eight seven seven nine seven Eric. Eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. We are at a record high on approval for the president of the United States in the real clear politics polling average. He is uh. 53.3 disapprove, 41.2 approve. Now I'm going to leave out the Rasmussen polling because the Rasmussen polling is a biased poll. It is a Republican poll. I want to give you the mainstream media polling. CNN down nine, Emerson down nine, USA Today, Suffolk down 21, Susquehanna down 16, Monmouth down 6, ABC, Washington Post down 19, Reuters, Ipsos down 3, Politico Morning Consult down 9, Economist YouGov down 8, and now the latest Quinnipiac polling of registered voters down 15. What is notable is, now let me give you the Rasmussen one, down 18 with likely voters. And with the Susquehanna Federalist poll down uh, 18, it's I'm I'm just amazed. Now the Federalist is a right-leaning site as well, so they're down 16 in the Federalist, down 18 in the in the Rasmussen poll. They both lean right of center. They're both with registered voters, but among registered voters, uh, they're likely voters. Among registered voters, you're down 15 in Quinnipiac down 19 in ABC, down 21 in USA Today. That's bad. I want you to put that in the back of your mind. Take out even the partisan polling, and Joe Biden is as unpopular as Donald Trump was. In fact, fewer Democrats support Joe Biden right now than Republicans supported Donald Trump. Moderate Democrats are aghast that Joe Biden would side with progressives as aggressively as he does. Progressives are frustrated. Biden hasn't gotten more done and bullied more into his agenda. That's the frame with where I want to spend some moments here. And I've talked about this and I've done some research. Jonah Goldberg, actually, I've got to credit him in the dispatch with some of this data. But I want to begin with a quote. This is from uh, the New York Times journalist, Pulitzer Prize winning writer, Nicole Hannah-Jones of the 1619 Project. This is what she said, and it has become dogma on the left. Destroying property which can be replaced is not violence. If you don't mention January 6th of this year, the media and progressives will scream at you. What about January 6th? What about January 6th? January 6th, too many people on the right have decided it's a they're political prisoners. No, they're not political prisoners. Well, they, they were trying to commit political crimes, but uh, those people deserve to go to jail. You may not like it, but they did. They stormed into the U.S. Capitol. Have you, you have to ignore the evidence. You have to ignore your eyeballs and the videotapes of them literally smashing through the doors 
to get into the United States Congress. Some of them tried to smash down the door of the Speaker's lobby to chase members of Congress. They erected a gallows. They stood in the well of the Senate. Uh, the brain biblical donkey with the bison helmet is going to go to jail for 41 months. You play stupid games, you get stupid prizes. I don't have any sympathy. We should not downplay what happened. Unfortunately, the left wants to downplay everything in American history to overplay January 6th. January 6th wasn't good. Let's not forget there were pipe bombs planted at the RNC and the DNC. We don't know who planted them. They still haven't been found, but they were active pipe bombs. But I want to read for you something that Jonah Goldberg wrote yesterday. He's talking about uh, this growing movement of mostly young men led by some older men who want to be relevant again on the conservative movement side who are calling themselves national conservatives. I don't really know what the national conservatism is because it sounds like conservatism to me by and large. Now, there are some ideas I, I think I would disagree with that are uh, old school conservative, but by and large, they're saying we, we don't need uh, old school conservatism. We need this new national conservative thing. And part of me thinks it's because uh, there is an oversupply of Twitter pundits and Twitterati who haven't made it into existing think tanks. And so they've essentially got the Twitter think tank of all these guys who hang out together on social media, get together occasionally in public, don't have jobs at the Heritage Foundation, AEI, or other groups. And so they've decided they're doing something new and they're branding it as something cool there. The cool kids really, it's the same damn thing. Uh, they're just repackaging it for themselves and for Twitter as if they've got new ideas and they really don't. I mean, by and large, this is conservatism. But it sounds cool and new and, and, and hip. So let's do it. So Jonah Goldberg was writing in response to this National Conservative Conference. And full disclosure, I got a lot of friends involved with it. I just, I find it when they talk, oh, what are your ideas? They sound very much like the conservative movement. Always, it's just now they're angling for their new think tank position because heritage is all full up. This is from Goldberg. These were the days when the militant left, there, yeah, these were the days when the militant left wasn't dedicated merely to blowing up binary gender categories with tweeted truth bombs, but to blowing up buildings and occasionally people with real bombs. Get this, I did not realize this. Pay attention here. During the summer of 1970 alone, there were 20 bombings a week in California from progressive activists. It's a wonderful feeling to hit a pig, Mark Rudd of the Weather Underground mused. It must be a really wonderful feeling to kill a pig or blow up a building. Jane Fonda held F the Army rallies and in 1972 let herself be used by the enemy as a propaganda tool, even posing behind the trigger of a North Vietnamese anti-aircraft gun. The Black Panthers, lionized even by many liberals, made Black Lives Matters look like a debating society. And as bad as the BLM and Antifa riots of 2020 were, and they were very bad, they pale in comparison to riots in our past. By the left. That's Jonah Goldberg. Now, let me take over. In 1971, uh, the left-wing Weather Underground, a uh, member of whom Bill Ayers is where his living room is the living room in which Barack Obama got his political start. The Weather Underground bombed the U.S. Capitol in 1971. In 1972, the Weather Underground bombed the Pentagon. In 1975, the Weather Underground bombed the State Department. In 1978, they intended to blow up a 
member of the California State Senate. That's just the Weather Underground. The Black Panthers were as violent. Then there's the Earth Liberation Front, still a front, an organization active today. The Earth Liberation Front has been engaged in numerous terrorist attacks in the United States in the past several decades. They even launched a terrorist attack two months after 9-11. You didn't hear about it because people were distracted. They've been bombing buildings, bombing facilities, bombing research facilities, bombing corporate farms, bombing uh, uh, um, car dealerships. They set fire to a car dealership that sold Hummers. They're not responsible for as much loss of life as the Weather Underground or the Black Panthers, but they're a violent group. Again, though, to quote Nicole Hannah-Jones, destroying property, which can be replaced, is not violence. That's becoming dogma on the left. In 2001, a research report on extremism in the United States said leftist extremists, this is direct quote, leftist extremists were responsible for three quarters of the officially designated acts of terrorism in the United States in the 1980s. While the media and the FBI and Joe Biden are really concerned about growing right-wing extremism and violence in the country, this report back in 2001 noted that left-wing extremists tend to be younger, better educated, and tend to live in urban areas with a target-rich environment. The other big issue you need to understand is that uh, right-wing extremism is a thing, and it tends to be a thing against the federal government for individualism or federalism or separation. Left-wing violence is Marxist, socialist, and designed to have the intent over time to overthrow the American government and impose a Marxist regime. There was intelligence even into the 2000s that a lot of these progressive violent extremists were getting help from Cuba. I'm sure China's helping now. Now I take you back to Joe Biden's polling. Joe Biden is polling in the low 30s. And progressives meanwhile have internalized several propositions. They believe they're the majority in the United States. They truly believe they're the majority now in the country. Do you know how I know they believe it? Same reason that I, as a conservative in the early 2000s, was, or mid-2000s with Obama's president, was willing to believe conservatives were the dominant class in the country. You run really conservative candidates or really progressive candidates in areas that aren't that conservative or progressive, and you just assume your guy's going to win because everybody really is conservative or everybody really is progressive. Progressives right now are doing what the Tea Party did after 2010. They're running hardcore progressives in areas of the country not receptive to progressivism, and they're losing because they think that everybody agrees with them now. It was a lesson I had to learn as a conservative. Progressives right now are convinced everyone really is on their side, except the racists and bigots. They've internalized. They're the majority. They have internalized Republicans are a threat to democracy. You hear this on TV networks, news networks. You hear it in the newspaper. You read it in newspapers that Republicans are a threat to democracy. Progressives believe they're the majority, and they believe that conservatives are a threat to democracy. They have believed as dogma now, and they talk about it on the news all the time, how Republicans suppress the vote. Progressives would be winning. This is what they're saying about Virginia. Had Republicans not suppressed the vote, Terry McAuliffe would have won.
voter suppression explains Democrat losses because progressives are dominant. They've internalized that the GOP is suppressing voters and that the GOP is a threat to democracy. Hello, January 6th. A wave election is shaping up for Republicans in 2022. What do you think the left is going to do? They think Republicans are suppressing the vote. Republicans are a threat to democracy. Progressives are really the majority, and yet Republicans are going to win next year. What do you think they're going to do? They have a history of violence. But wait, they've internalized one further proposition. They have internalized that the world has less than a decade to go before we all die. They believe this. They literally, not figuratively, but they literally believe that if we don't stop climate change in the next decade, that we're toast, that the world will go on, but we will not go on. And their rhetoric expresses their frustration. This is Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader. This is Chuck Schumer yesterday. Climate change is gonna get worse and worse and worse. I tell my constituents, last year with COVID was awful. But in a few years, because of climate change, each year will be worse than COVID and each year will be worse than the next if we don't do anything about it. And they're not. They're not going to do anything about it. Because Joe Manchin's going to block them from curbing fossil fuels. And the left believes that it's conservatives, it's Republicans, it's Joe Manchin and it's corporations that are blocking them from saving all of us. They believe they are the heroes in this narrative. And they believe that they must take action to save us from ourselves. Even those of us who don't want them to, they're doing it for us. They've internalized themselves as heroes. And a quarter of them, a quarter of Americans, I should say, are on Twitter. And the majority of them are progressives. And there's lots of data out there that progressives can no longer relate to conservatives. They view us as the enemy. As some conservatives are viewing them as the enemy, they really do because they are less likely to have conservative friends than conservatives are to have progressive friends. They are more likely to live in urban enclaves where they don't encounter conservative thought. And they so dominate Twitter, they can spend their day without ever having to engage conservative thought. They don't know us anymore. They think we're bad. We're a threat to democracy, and the world is going to burn unless they do something about it. When you have a group of people who believe they're the majority, their majority is being stymied by others, and those others are both a threat to democracy and on the cusp of taking power back. And if progressives cannot hold on to that power, we're all very literally going to die due to climate change. What do you think they're going to do? The media and the Democrats, they want to have every conversation about right-wing extremism, about right-wing militia groups. And by the way, I'm not dismissing those. They're real. But no one wants to have conversations about what's coming from the left. You can sense it in the air. It's coming. And it's not a new thing. It's a return to something old. Again, in the summer of 1970, there were 20 bombings a week just in California from left-wing groups. Left-wing groups tried to blow up the Capitol, the Pentagon, the State Department, and assassinate elected officials. We should all be troubled about what's coming as they've internalized they're the majority, Republicans are a threat to democracy, and yet the polling shows Republicans are about to take back Congress and make expansive gains at the state level, which will stop them from healing the planet.
Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. It is my show. You're more than welcome to be a part of it. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. You know, I, I, so in, in researching this on, on the violence, and I don't want to stick with it, but I'm happy to take your calls on it. I got a lot of other stuff. In fact, I got a lot of stuff from yesterday I didn't get to that I want to get to today. But when the media talks about right-wing violence, I was kind of, I was diving into that and there have been, including where I am here in Georgia, a series of white supremacist groups who the, the FBI defines as right-leaning groups. And the reason they're defining them as right-leaning groups is not because they're white supremacist, but because they are separatist. Uh, they're separatist against the federal government. that they, they want to be left alone. Um, there's actually a progressive left-wing radical movement now I forget the name of it escapes me, but wants to essentially uh, carve the Southeast United States out for Cuba. And the it's the ideologies that is getting people defined by this. If you're Marxist socialist, you're a left-wing extremist. If you are a uh, anti-establishmentarian, you are anti-Washington, you are separatist for your own free state, you're a white supremacist, you are considered right-wing extremists. And there is a smaller group of progressives who are violent right now, but the media to some degree does have to stretch to say all of these things are right-wing violence, right-wing terrorism. The reality is in this country, there is a larger history of left-wing terrorism. That's just objectively true. You can't dispute it. Those are the, That's the FBI data. There may be larger, more concerns about right-wing extremists right now, in large part because of Joe Biden in the White House and Democrats in control, but you put a bunch of Republicans and conservatives in, you're going to have problems with the left, which historically has been more violent. And I can't help but note that in the last three months, the New Yorker and the New York Times have fawned over a guy who has written a book encouraging progressives to turn to terrorism to fight climate change. Do you know that our national rail lines are being sabotaged? Hasn't gotten a lot of press coverage. But just last year, a uh, BNSF train track in the Northwest was sabotaged by two environmental activists because they were hauling oil sands. That was the second time in a year that train tracks related to uh, trains hauling oil were sabotaged. This is going to become a thing. And I'm afraid that the media is so bought into the left-wing demagoguery these days they're not going to cover it accurately, and they're going to downplay what's happening. When we come back, we need to talk about foreign affairs. Other stuff is happening on the planet. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. I want to step back. We talk a lot about politics, domestic affairs, but there's a whole world around us, and I'm fascinated by the world when I was a kid, I got to travel the world. I've still been to more countries than states. I have a friend of mine who is in Israel right now. I've never been to Israel. When I was a kid, I grew up in Dubai. You weren't allowed to go to Israel. Couldn't have an Israeli stamp in your passport if you want to back into a Middle Eastern Arab country. But I have been all over the world. Uh, I am more well-traveled than almost all of my friends. I have been through... All of Europe, parts of Africa, a lot of Asia. Not been to South America, need to go. Been to the Caribbean, been to Canada. 
when I so when I was a kid, we lived in Dubai, and every few months we had to leave the country for visa purposes. And so we, my dad's company would tell us to pick a place, and we would go. Spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Penang. There's Penang is an island off the coast of Malaysia, uh, one of my favorite places on the planet to go when I was a kid. So my best memories with my dad fishing uh, were, and we would rent a little boat and do ocean fishing uh, in a little uh, little bay off the island of Penang. Um, it was just, it was a lot of fun. I uh, spent a lot of time in Europe. I went through France and the Netherlands and Belgium, Switzerland, Germany, a lot of time in Great Britain. My sister went to boarding school there for a while. I'm fascinated by the world. I love to travel. I, I, I hope one day to to make enough money to be able to fly my family and, and take nice trips to places like I did as a kid. So I pay attention to world affairs, maybe more than I should, but I'm noticing uh, there's some deep trouble happening in the world, and a lot of it has to do, unfortunately, there is a political angle here with Joe Biden. He doesn't seem to know what to do. His administration seems not to be willing to engage in ways we probably do need to engage. We begin with Belarus. Belarus used to be part of the Soviet Union, became an independent country, but it has kept its ties to Russia. It is essentially a fiefdom of Vladimir Putin, who has one of his strong men in charge of it. It is an autocratic regime. And Belarus has decided to put pressure on the EU through immigration. Uh, the president of Belarus has opened his country's borders to immigrants who are fleeing essentially through Turkey and southern eastern Europe. They come up into Belarus, which borders on Poland, to the east of Poland, and they've been telling them that you can come through Belarus and have easy access to the European Union, which you can't. But that's what they're telling them. So the European European Union has to, had to move troops from various countries to Poland to help the Poles. The Belarusians were giving the immigrants flashbang grenades to throw at the Europeans and the Poles to destabilize the area, to keep them distracted. Uh, building up pressure on them, creating an immigration crisis. One of the reasons that Vladimir Putin and the Belarusians and the Russians want to uh, cause an immigration crisis to the European Union is because they know that immigration has become deeply divisive of an issue within the European Union and they wish to destabilize it. But there's another reason as well. While the Europeans are distracted on the border of Poland and Belarus, with immigrants who are trying to cross into the European Union territory. The Russians have a military buildup in Ukraine. There has been a war going on in Ukraine for some time. Thousands of Ukrainian soldiers have been killed by the Russians. The eastern half of Ukraine is very Russian. It borders Russia. The Crimea is... Ukrainian land where the Russians were allowed to maintain a naval base on the Black Sea. And the Russians have taken over Crimea and declared it their own territory. They threw the Ukrainians out. There's really nothing the Ukrainians can do about it. On top of that, the Russians control major natural gas pipelines and have been cutting them 
to force the Ukrainians into alliances with Russia, and the Western Ukrainians are very anti-Russia. See, if you recall your history, there was a great famine in Ukraine under Stalin, and the Ukrainians were treated as serfs by the Russians as part of the Soviet Union. They were treated as second-class citizens. There's a lot of lingering animosity, and there's a very pro-Western sentiment in Western Ukraine. The Russians are building up military personnel on the border between Russia and Ukraine. They've already slowly walked into Ukraine over time and have been killing Ukrainian soldiers. It looks like an all-out invasion of Ukraine is about to happen. The Ukrainian people have thrown out a pro-Russian regime. They've put in a pro-Western regime, and it has agitated Vladimir Putin, who sees NATO as an existential threat to the sovereignty of Russia. He sees the European Union as an existential threat to the Russians. They were building a pipeline, uh, a natural gas pipeline into Germany. The Biden administration did not block it. Many European leaders wanted the Biden administration to protest uh, the building of this pipeline uh, into from Russia into Germany for natural gas. The left-leaning political parties in Germany wanted it. They wanted better ties to Russia, and they wanted it as a way to lower gas prices, natural gas prices for the wintertime. Uh, the German government has thrown up its hands now and said, nope, we're going to cancel the pipeline. They did it on their own. They are concerned about funding money towards Vladimir Putin. Putin controls a lot of the natural gas in Europe as, pay attention to this part, as American domestic policy has turned hostile towards natural gas, and we have a supply chain crisis, American ships that have been funneling uh, liquid propane over to Europe and natural gas over to Europe on ships. The, the shipping supply has gone down and it makes Europe more dependent on Russia. You're more dependent on Russian gas. You're giving Vladimir Putin money. That makes Vladimir Putin very wealthy. This is a problem. The Biden administration will have to overcome some of its climate change um, insistence in order to fix the problem. That's just a reality the Biden administration doesn't seem to want to come to terms with. Then there's China. The Chinese are at a point where they are ready for more. They are hungry to be a superpower. On a bipartisan basis, going back to the Bush administration, really back to the Clinton administration, but it was a new thing during the Clinton administration. By the Bush administration, it was very obvious. Remember when Bush came to power, right after he came to power, before 9-11, the Chinese forced an American surveillance plane on the ground. And those pilots, they were destroying as best they could much of the plane's surveillance technology apparatus, but they couldn't get it all. The Chinese were able to get some of it, and they're able to replicate it. It's what the Chinese do. The Chinese don't come up with a lot of original things. They steal other people's stuff and try to refine it. It's one reason, to some degree, I actually think the Chinese are a bit overrated as a superpower. You know, they released a big nuclear aircraft, uh, nuclear-powered aircraft carrier couple, uh, last year. It was a big deal. It was monumental. It promptly caught on fire. It's had all sorts of problems. If you go to China and you look at their buildings there, they are crumbling. They crumble quickly. Tom Friedman of the New York Times loves to talk about uh, the advances in China, the progress China makes, how great China is, how developed China is, how quickly China does things. China, China, China. Uh, the Chinese roads and bridges crumble more quickly than ours. In fact, the Chinese built a high-speed rail between, uh, what was it, Shanghai, I think, and Tibet. It takes several days to get there. 
but it's a very high-speed train, and it has crumbled. It's unreliable. The Chinese technology isn't what it's cracked up to be. This is one of the fundamental problems with communist regimes. Frankly, it's a, it's a problem that uh, creeps into American corporations. I was having this conversation uh, yesterday with uh, a new acquaintance about the problems, for example, in private equity. In a lot of private equity in the United States, uh, they, they're they trying to squeeze profits out of businesses. Uh, newspapers, a lot of newspapers in the country have been bought by private equity companies. And what the private equity companies do is they know there's a subscriber base of newspapers. Many people uh, just forget they got a subscription. They pay it every year. They kind of ignore it. And so they're sitting money in. There's a reliable profit chain. And so every year, the private equity companies that run the newspapers, they, they cut 10%. And then the next year, cut 10%. And then the next year, cut 10%. The The Chicago Tribune, one of the great heralded newspapers of the United States, is now like a one-man shop run out of a warehouse that a private equity company bought and has run into the ground. There are no reporters left. Throw in the AP news wires, do a little bit of original writing from a one-man band, and away you go. And subscribers just subscribe out of habit. And part of the problem is you get into some private equity companies that actually want to generate viable businesses, but it's private equity and private equity has a reputation. And one of the reputations is they do cuts. And so no one wants to take risk. They become very risk adverse unless you have the right dynamics at the top of a private company. And oftentimes it is the privately held companies that are more willing to take risk than the publicly traded ones where you have shareholders who could respond. In large companies, you take less risk. You take less risk because if you take a risk and you screw it up, you're going to get fired. But you're not going to advance and innovate without taking risks. The Chinese aren't very risk adverse or, or they are very risk adverse. They like to steal other people's stuff and not innovate. But then there's a problem with the Chinese regime. Let, let's use the American corporation. You, you get to be a big unwieldy corporation. No one wants to take risks anymore because they know if they take risks, their competitor in the Game of Thrones that's in the cubicle next to them is going to out them, off them, and be done with them because they fa- because you failed to take the risk and the risk di- di- it didn't turn out well. You should want companies to inspire people to take reasonable risk and build them up if they fall on their face, but large companies don't like to do that. They're responsible to shareholders. They just want to hold on to their gains. In communist regimes, ironically, this is an area where large capitalist behemoths and the communists are a lot alike. Nobody wants to take risks in a communist regime. No one wants to acknowledge that there's a problem because if you do, if you're the guy who says the emperor has no clothes, you're the guy who's going to die. That becomes a problem. So the Chinese are building buildings and infrastructure And there's nobody wants to say, hey, wait a second, we need to slow down. Or, hey, wait a second, we got a problem. Or, hey, wait a second, our foundries building the iron ore for the rebar, they're not making it well. Nobody wants to be the guy to speak up because they, if they're wrong, they're going to die. And if they're right and they make other people look bad, they're going to die. So China is a real superpower threat and has real long-term planning designs on moving into Taiwan and throwing us out of the Western Pacific. And the Biden administration seems to have no response whatsoever. In fact, he's already walking back his pro-Taiwan statements from last week. I don't think we should overrate China, but we shouldn't underrate them either. 
and we got real problems with China. And then there's Iran. In Iran, the theocrats are trying to build up their nuclear power. They've put it all underground now to make sure it is protected from our bombs. And they have begun refining uranium, not for civilian nuclear use. They want to build a bomb. The Biden administration doesn't know how to stop them. They can't contain or restrain China. They can't stop Russia. They can't stop Belarus. They can't protect Ukraine. They're not doing anything on China. This is not good. It destabilizes the world. The United States, both sides, bipartisan basis, decided to stop striding the world. And the result is that the rest of the world is looking for new leadership. This is something I've said to my conservative friends forever who have become protectionist and turn inward and said we don't need to be the world's policeman. If we're not, someone else will be, and no one else shares our values. You either have to do it or you have to let China do it. It really is. Those are the only options now, us or them. And the people who say, China, you don't understand what you're doing. You're irresponsible, but you don't care. You will be made to care by the Chinese if they become the dominant superpower on this planet. You will. We should not let it happen. Unfortunately, the Biden administration doesn't know how to stop them at this point. And I don't know that they care to stop them either. Because you know what? A lot of progressives would be totally fine with China in charge. And those progressives work for the Biden administration. You should do what you can to stop them. And one way to stand up to the wokes and the progressives is to do business with Patriot Mobile because they send a portion of their profits to fund the conservative movement. The pro-life cause, the Second Amendment cause, veterans and first responders, Patriot Mobile has their back if you have their back. What you do is you go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. That's patriotmobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You get free activation. Follow that link. Use my name. You can call them. They have 100% U.S.-based customer service. 972-PATRIOT. 972-PATRIOT. They're a good company. They've got great coverage. You don't have to worry about the coverage or 5G or data or anything like that. Just go to patriotmobile.com slash Eric. Check them out. See if they're a good fit for you. I suspect they will be, and you'll be doing business with a Christian conservative company that shares your values and funds the causes you care about. Hello there. This hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. They can help your business become a really big business. They've been doing it since the early 90s. If your business needs access to loans, big loans, six figures and up, reach out to First Liberty. Uh, FirstLibertyGA.com is their website, FirstLibertyGA.com. Uh, real quick, uh, my buddy Drew, who is listening right now, uh, no, not 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 that Drew. No, no, not not that Drew either. The other other Drew. <laughs> there are so many Drews in my life now. Uh, but this Drew in North Carolina, he's asking about uh, grills for for Christmas. And boy, I have gotten this question from multiple people. And it, I guess now is the time as people are thinking about the holidays, what they want to get. Uh, I, honest to goodness, would discourage you from going to your local Big Bax hardware store and getting one of their trash grills that they park out front in the rain uh, because you'll be buying one every other year or so um, unless you take really good care of it. Get a Weber. You will not go wrong with a Weber gas grill or charcoal. You won't. They're a little bit pricier, but uh, they're very well made if you want a gas grill or you want a charcoal grill. They are very well made. I look, It's not an endorsement. I don't even have one now. I used to have one. Uh, you can find parts for them very easily. 
to replace parts as the parts wear out. The parts don't wear out uh, quickly, and they're just, they're really good grills. They get hot, very hot. Uh, they stay hot, and they're good. Now, I've got a Rectech. If you're looking for a pellet grill, get your order in now, uh, Rectech, R-E-C-T-E-Q. I like them better than Traeger. I like the Rectech uh, pellet grill better than Traeger because it gets hotter than a Traeger. Uh, its interface, its tech interface is way better. They're all uh, manufactured. The parts are manufactured in China. Uh, Traegers are put together in China. Rectechs are put together here. But uh, Rectech uh, puts its computers together, builds its computers here in the United States. Their computers are not from China, which uh, they, they, they hold up well even in the weather. They get hotter than a Traeger. Uh, they uh, can cool down as well as a Traeger. I just, I like the Rectech so much better. The build quality, the metal quality, everything is so much better. Uh, I have, if you really have a lot of money and you want to spend, my wife to this day has no idea how much money I spent on this thing. I have something called a DCS. DCS. It's by uh, Fisher Paykel. They're a New Zealand company. And it is, I've had this grill for a decade and it is still going strong, and I love it. It has ceramic tubes right over the flames, so it can get up to about 1,200 to 1,300 degrees across the entire grill and has a 50-pound rotisserie and two side burners. So I can do fish fries, I can do french fries, I can do burgers, I can do a rotisserie chickens, multiple chickens at one time. And then, of course, I have my big green egg, which I don't use as much. But I do think the big green egg does the best with brisket. I have decided. I love my Rectech, and I do brisket on my Rectech. But the big green egg, I just need an extra large one because the large one's not big enough for a full-size brisket unless you fold it over. But those are my recommendations for Christmas. Weber for a gas grill or a DCS if you want to upgrade, a Rectech for pellet grill, and a big green egg for a ceramic one. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution if you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business. First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no, it's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan, say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com.